Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How you doing today? Y'all are quiet, man. First service was bouncing off the walls. It was nuts. You guys are real quiet today. Uh, and that's okay. Quiet, quiet's okay. That means, you know, are you guys nervous the Eagles are going to have trouble today with the Jets? The Jets stink. Steelers are in good shape. We're at the bye. So there's no issue. And we don't talk about the Cleveland Browns or the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> Although last week was a great week, wasn't it? <laughs> it was great. Um, as we were in worship in first service, we are talking about the rain. I think sometimes we forget. You know, when it comes to the rain, there's two types of people. There are people that lose their minds when the rain's coming, and they don't want to get their hair wet because their hair gets all weird, and they don't want to get and they, ah, they scream, they got umbrellas, they run from thing to thing. And you have other people that embrace the rain, and they dance in the rain. You know somebody that embraces the rain? They're like, man, we love that, man. I want to encourage you, when it comes to the Spirit, dance in the rain. Don't be afraid. Will the Holy Spirit come, and will he kind of, you know, rearrange a few things? Yes, he's the Holy Spirit. He's God. That's what he does. But how many of you know that he does that for your good? He does. Is it comfortable sometimes? Heck no. God never promised you comfort. You know what he promised you? Destiny. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. The comforter comes to help you to keep your stuff together in the midst of chaos and trial and pain, but it doesn't mean that all this stuff's going to go away. So do me a favor. Talk to the Holy Spirit and give him permission to, to rain on you. And then give yourself permission to dance in the rain. Embrace what he has for you. Amen? You know, I don't know if you know this or not. You can stop the flow of what God wants to do in your life if, 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 you, if you want to. Don't be that person. So this, uh, this whole month we've been talking about fear. How many of you have enjoyed the, the fear series so far? I like to, to you know, get into a, a scary time of the year for a lot of people. You get into October and we turn it around. That's one of the reasons we do Family Fest. You know, we don't do that as an alternative. We do that as a way to shine in darkness. By the way, we need candy. If you've got candy at your house, break into your neighbor's house. Take their candy. <laughs> Next time you're at the, you're at, you know, you're at the Wawa, wherever you just, we need as much candy as we can get. Uh, we have thousands of people that were all, we had thousands of people signed up like two weeks ago. Uh, we're expecting record numbers. We need all the candy you can give us. We need bikes. We need all that stuff. We need prizes. By the way, when I say bikes, this is not like the old bike in the basement we don't want your old huffy. We want you to go, go to the Walmart, get you a bike, get something that's nice. Uh, so we've been talking about fear. Um, and I think all of us have illustrations. We all have things that push our buttons when it comes to fear. So uh, oh, probably for about four years now, one of my buddies here, uh, Ward Kiever, Teak, um, you know, we go riding bikes and stuff like that. We'll ride, we'll trail ride. Uh, he's been trying to get me into surfing. How many of you, how many surfers we got in here? Now, growing up in Pittsburgh, there weren't a lot of surfing opportunities at the Three Rivers. We just didn't have that. So, you know, I had been surfing before. I went to school in Florida, and I've been down to Cocoa Beach. But it's been 30 years since this guy has been on a surfboard. How many of you know that, that 30 years changes a lot of things? Right? I stunk 30 years ago. I'm thinking that the older I get, I'm not going to get any better. But, but, but Ward is determined to get me on a surfboard. So uh, around the first year, we had an elder retreat in Ocean City, New Jersey, and uh, we had a few of our elders that liked to surf, and uh, they were talking about getting out there in the waves. And again, when it, when it comes to surfing, there's a few things that, 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 that ping on my fear level. You know, I would prefer not to be eaten by a shark, so that's up there, 
But the thing I feared the most about the whole thing was, was, you know, we went there and it was a cold enough time you had to wear a wetsuit. Do you know that wetsuits are form-fitting? Some people have better forms than others for a wetsuit. I'm pretty sure I could be mistaken as a big Greek seal quite easily in the surf. Here's my biggest fear. It wasn't like, it wasn't just being out there in the surf with a wetsuit. It was, what if you get this thing off and you got to go to the bathroom if you got it on? If it takes you 38 minutes to get it on, you know, I'm going to have to buy that wetsuit. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to have to make a purchase. So we go down as elders. It's the morning of, of just stuff. And, and we're down in the morning. We're praying. And we're walking on the surf. And Dr. Dan Elliott notices a disturbance in the water. Just so you know, if you're just, you know, if you're keeping score at home, disturbances in the water are usually never a good thing. So he goes, look, look, there's a disturbance out there. I go, I look out and there's a rustling in the water. And lo and behold, we start to see fins. Now they're not happy dolphin fins. They're not porpoise fins. Apparently, it was a shark fin. In fact, it was so distinct that he called that. I goes, look, it's a thresher shark. And this thresher shark is moving up and down the, 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 where we're going to be swimming later. And he goes, look at that thing. Isn't it beautiful? And I'm like, what is wrong? Have you lost your mind? And then he told me, he says, don't worry, because the thresher sharks don't mess with you. Now, I'm, I, maybe you're a Discovery Channel person and you have a, a poster in your room at home that tells you the, the good sharks and the bad sharks. To me, sharks are sharks. And I understand this. I'm a succulent Greek. <laughs> and even though the bad sharks may not want me, he may go, wait, wait, is that Greek? Is that Mediterranean? Ah, let's just go get it. So we see this shark, and they say, don't worry about it. We're still going to go surfing later. So this is in the back of my mind the whole day. So we come down later. We got our little surfboards. Thank God they didn't make me put on a wetsuit. I just had like a shirt. And we get into the surf. And I make this, this discovery. You know, Dan Elliott is a, is a skinny man. He's not very big. Um, he's in the water. Dan Lumpkin's in the water. He's not very big either. The closest to me was Michael Pereskevich. And I told Michael, you've got to stand right next to me everywhere we go in the water because I want the shark, if he's going to come on me, I want him to have a, a real choice. You pick him or you pick, we're close to where, you pick one of us, but he ain't going to go after Dan and these guys. So I'm in the water, I'm nervous, I'm thinking all i got to do is get on top of this surfboard and everything will be fine. When's the last time you've been on a surfboard? It took everything within me just to stay stable on this stupid board, let alone stand on it and ride a wave in. And what do you want to do if there's sharks in the water and you're on this board? What's the number one goal? Get, we'll get to the beach, that's true. But I'd already blew that away, you know, because I voluntarily went into the buffet line out where all the, you know. You want to get your chunky legs out of the water, right? Every time I put my legs in the water, the, the surfboard did this. Or God of my Lord just did this. So then I'm holding on upside down like sushi. What do they call sushi for animals, for, for, for fish? Manshee? I don't know what it is. It was bad. Needless to say, I didn't get up. I didn't ride a wave. Needless to say, I didn't get bitten by a shark. They're around her. I'm, I'm okay with sharks. I understand sharks are in the ocean. I just don't want to see them, right? Fear. I know this about fear. You know, the question for our, our, our lives is not, will I be afraid? It's not, are you going to encounter fear? You're going to encounter fear. Here's the big question, especially for us as believers. What are you going to do when you encounter fear? How you deal with fear tells a lot about your faith. So, beloved, how do you choose to deal with your fears? So this whole month we've been talking about fears. This week, this week we take another step in, in understanding what I think is probably one of the most dangerous fears on the planet. And all of us deal with this. It's the fear of man, the fear of what people think of us. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor TJ, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I just do my thing and everything's fine. And for some of you, that's true. But for some of you, people's opinions of you run so deep in you, they've affected your life in ways that you don't even realize right now. Most of us, the majority of you know, we do care what people think of us. What people think of us, you know, they, 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 they affect what we wear. They affect the cars that we drive. For some of y'all, some of you bought a house that was way out of your league just so you could keep up with appearances with the Joneses, right? Fear of man. Is there any more fearful question than when your wife comes out of the dressing room with a dress on and she says, does this dress make me look? I didn't say it. You said it. And what do you say? <laughs> That's good. No. You avoid the question, right? Because what she thinks of you is a big deal, right? And it could cost you your life if you answer the question wrong, right? Fear. We care a lot about, you know, what people think of us. And it, it, it really guides a lot of things that we do. Even how we raise our kids sometimes. All of us deal with fear. All of us deal with peer pressure. Um, I remember, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, I remember junior high was like the worst time for peer pressure ever. Grade school, you didn't know what was going on, you know, you just wore whatever your mom and dad put out. But by the time you're hitting junior high, you were starting to become aware of things. You're starting to become aware of the opposite sex. You're starting to, to grow. Your body's changing. Hormones are ping-ponging around in your body. And, and what you dress like matters. I remember I was in junior high school, and we had this incredible phenomenon happen in the 80s. We had this athlete. We'd never seen an athlete like this before. His name was Michael Jordan. How many of you remember Michael Jordan back in the 80s? And not only did he come on the scene, but he brought with him this, this thing that we had never seen before, this tennis shoe called the Air Jordans. How many of you back in the day had a pair of Air Jordans? They're still rolling today. That, I mean, that's 40 years ago. They're still rolling today. And I remember, you know, if you're a junior high kid, man, and you have any opportunity to move up in the, in the status world in junior high... How many of you know you seize that opportunity, right? So Air Jordans were like taking our school by storm. And, and I, I remember talking to my mom, saying, Mom, I want to I get me a pair of these Air Jordans. And she says, you're nuts. They're too expensive. Do you know how much a pair of original Air Jordans cost back in the 80s? $45. My mother said, I will never spend $45 on a pair of tennis shoes. You must be crazy. Some of you would die to buy shoes for $45 a day, right? But I had my own money. I was a paper boy. I had my own money. I said, Mom, I'm going to buy me some Air Jordans. This is my ticket to a better status. So she drove me down to Fines in this little place by Pittsburgh called Turtle Creek. I went down there with all these crimpled dollar bills from being a, a paper boy. I put them on the thing, and they brought out me a box and with, with the black and the red Air Jordans. Remember the black and the red Air Jordans? Those things were sweet. I took them, took a They had the new shoe smell. You know what I'm talking about, right? Took them back in, perfect size. They fit like a glove better than any shoe I ever had in my life. Somehow in my mind, I thought that these shoes would change everything. You know, I'd be a better athlete. I'd be able to dunk as a chunky little Greek kid. Um, I thought my status was cool. All the girls would notice, hey, are those Air Jordans? Everything would be great. So I remember the next day, I got them on, put them on, got ready to school, went to school, and I waited for the magic to happen. And you know what happened? Nothing. I was like, these shoes must be defective. You know, I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, what's worse this happened? This was even worse. About a month later, everybody in the school had Air Jordans. So I was just like everybody else. But I was out $45. I wish I had that pair of Air Jordans today. 
be worth a lot of money. What made me buy those? Fear. The fear of man. I want to be like everybody else. How many of you know that the desire to fit in is a powerful thing? See, this is the weird thing about wanting to fit in and belong. Do you know that when God created you, he wired you to belong? He created you to be part of a family. He did. So there's something inside of you that says, man, I belong to something, to someone. And if we don't find that belonging in our natural family, or if you don't find that belonging even in a church family, you seek it out and you'll do anything stay, you know, to stay connected to somebody. You'll do anybody to, to have somebody just like you. God put that in there. That's why it's important for us as a church to recognize who's around us, to be able to bring people close because we all belong. Fear of man is a powerful thing. The fear of man is such a powerful thing that it's so strong that it could even keep you from becoming the person that God wants you to be. Some of you are here today and you're afraid to take steps closer to God because you're afraid of what people are going to think of you. It's so funny. You're afraid in this house, you know, of what people are going to think of you. You know, worship, you're, maybe you're afraid to lift your hands or maybe you're afraid to step closer to God or maybe you're afraid to get involved with you think You think people in our church may think that you're nuts. Just so you know, everybody in this house is thinking the same thing. And it's like gridlock and it paralyzes everybody with fear. In fact, the fear of man of what people think of you can be such a strong part of your life, it can sabotage really the plan that God has for you. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That sounds right to me. The fear of man lays a snare, takes you to places you want to go, and keeps you contained like a trap, like a snare. Even Paul talked about this type of fear. He said this in Galatians 1.10. He says, do you think I care about the approval of men? Or about the approval of God. You think I'm on a mission only to please people? If I'm still spinning my wheels trying to please men, then there's no way I can be a servant of the anointed one, the liberating king. Even Paul understood the battle. You want to serve God. You don't want to serve men. So as a believer, there's always a choice that's right in front of us. Will you live your life to please God? Or will you live your life to please men? And fear has a big part to play in that. It pushes you in directions that, that, that God doesn't want you to be in. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself constantly worried about the opinions and the expectations of others, how many of you grew up with parents that had heavy expectations of you? I told you, my, my mom, she told me I was going to be a vet. Now, you know, you guys are like sheep, so I'm kind of like a vet. <laughs> she speaks over me all the time. Here's my green little chunky little Greek vet. He's going to be great. My little Greek vet. I remember the day I sat her down, I said, Mom, I said, I think I'm supposed to go and do things in the church. She wept. She cried. They weren't tears of joy. And then eventually she got used to it. And she was proud. But that's a big deal, right? We live up to other people's expectations. Does anybody in this room ever try to live up to other people's expectations? Does anybody here have friends, family, people that are unpleasable? It drives you crazy, but what do you do? You still stay, right? You keep running around that tree. The holidays are coming. You're like, fa la 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 la. Here they are again, right? The fear of man, expectations. If you're always worried about what people think of you, if you always feel like you live lesser because of other people's expectations, there's a pretty good chance that you need freedom from the fear of man. I got good news for you today. 
Where the cross is, where Jesus is, there is freedom. You don't have to leave here bound by it. You can be set free. So here's the question. Why is the fear of man so dangerous to us? Well, it's dangerous primarily for two reasons. First, it keeps you from pleasing God. Pleasing man, pleasing the flesh, pleasing you, you first, is always rooted in one place, selfishness. It is. What is selfishness? Selfishness is putting your desires, your needs, and your comfort above everybody else's desires, even God's. Selfishness is this, fitting God into your schedule instead of allowing God to orient your life. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto you. It means everything else will be taken care of. But he has got to be the bullseye. We seek him first. When he's first in our life, all of the other parts of our life, they fall perfectly into place. But when you choose to live a life from self, a place of self-preservation, only caring about the things that benefit you, you miss the entire message of the gospel. When you live your Christian life just to take and just to consume and you never give, you miss the whole message of John 3.16. What was the message of John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he what? He gave his only begotten son. He gave. That's what the Christian world is. He didn't take, he gave. Now, for us, we have to be careful, beloved, that even in the church, we aren't consumers. We have to be givers. We don't want to consume, we want to give. We want to pour into the kingdom. So when the fear of man comes in, what it does, why it's so dangerous is this. It shifts our focus to us and how we compare to others instead of how we please God. It's a dangerous thing. And when you're doing that, when you fall into that, you can't please God because you're too busy trying to please everybody else. Romans 8 puts it this way. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're going to follow the flesh, you just can't please God. So this is what God does. He calls us, and then he gives us opportunities to break off fear. He gives us opportunities to experience freedom. Every time God, you know, he calls you closer, every time he calls you to take a step closer, it's an opportunity to overcome a fear. You know, for example, I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church. How many of you enjoyed worship today? How many of you remember the first time you came into worship here at Trinity and you're like, this is a little strange? You know, there's electric guitars up there. We usually don't have electric guitars in the Catholic Church. We definitely don't have them in the Greek Orthodox Church. You know what we have in the Greek Orthodox Church? Cantors. You know what those are? Old Greek men that go, ah, slightly different than chip on the acoustic guitar, right? Um, I remember the first time, you know, when I gave my heart to Christ and I was, you know, exposed to worship. I remember standing in my first worship and I'm thinking, what is going on? Have these people lost their minds? Some of you had the same, I know you had the same thought. First time, I remember, the first time I was in a worship service and they pulled out an electric guitar, I thought to myself, TJ's got to get out of this place. This place is crazy. I'm not making this up. It's a big church in Florida called Carpenter's Home. It's not even there anymore. It sat 10,000 people. So I looked for the closest exit, and these big doors opened up, and as I was getting ready to leave, the doors opened, and they had these banner processionals. People started coming out with banners and dancing, and I was like, TJ is in trouble. I ain't leaving here. I'm stuck. Here we go. I remember I was in Hershey, PA. I think it probably gave my heart to Christ. It might have been two years. And I'm there, and, and, and I always struggled, you know, with people lifting their hands and singing loud and crying. I'm like, I don't understand all this emotionalism. And I remember something happened to me 
during that convention where God just met me in a place and something shifted in my heart. I don't know how else to explain it. And it started to make sense. And I remember, I'm there with like 10,000 other teenagers that are losing their minds for Jesus at the Hershey Arena. And that, I decided that was going to be the time I was going to take my next big step in worship. I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to give a shot. I'm going I'm to lift my hands. And I did, the, you know, you can lift your hands in different ways. I did it the cool way. So I went like this. I, I did, you know, I was like, because, you know, if somebody calls you, you can kind of say, I was just, you know, I just can't have doing this. Now, 10,000 other teenagers, are, their hands are up, and they're screaming, and they're crying, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, oh, I'm living on the edge. Here we go. <laughs> it was funny. For me, it started like that, and then it went like this. And before I knew it, something had shifted in my heart, and then tears started streaming down my face as I seen the name of Jesus. And I realized something in that moment as I stepped out. God was continuing to break fear out of my life of what people thought of me. And then for worship, it just didn't matter anymore. It's between me and God. I don't care what people think. You know, I sing every once in a while I dance. It's not pretty. I'm just going to tell you right now. You, don't want, you won't see that on the YouTube. Well, you might on the funny part of the YouTube. It doesn't matter. Because anything that, that God gives you the strength to overcome when it comes to fear becomes a weapon in your hands. Our whole Christian life is like that. First time you share your faith. The first time you tell people about Jesus, you think, man, these people are going to think I'm crazy. These people are going to think I'm nuts. These people, you're in the United States of America. What's the worst thing that can happen? They're going to say, no, I don't want to hear anything. Okay. Suck it up, buttercup, and go home. You're not going to die. It's not like you're in China or Pakistan or one of those other places. I remember the first time we started tithing. I remember we're talking to some people, friends, you know, in my family, and I'm like, yeah, we're starting to tithe. They're like, you're giving money to the church? I was like, no, I'm giving money to Jesus. And they asked me, they said, Why? And I didn't really know why. I just knew I was supposed to do it because my pastor told me, well, you can't outgive God, and I'd rather live on 90% blessed than 100% unblessed. And those were great words, but I had no idea what they meant. But I knew in my heart it was something that we needed to do. And I remember one of my cousins looking at me going, you are nuts. You're crazy. You've lost it, blah, blah. How many of you know when you start talking about money, people lose their minds? But Robin and I did it. You know what? We've done that for now 32 years, and God's always blessed us. We don't give to be blessed, but we're blessed because we give. All of those deal with our fears. The fear of provision, the fear of not having enough money, the fear of what people will say if they find out that we are these crazy, kooky Christians. Guys, just understand this. You're here in a building on a Sunday when you could be golfing, baking, doing anything you want. Just because you're here, your non-believer friends, they already think that you're weird. Right? So who cares? They already think that you're strange. You listen to music that they don't listen to. You listen to their stuff too, but you listen to stuff they don't understand. We sing songs like fall like rain. People are like, what do you mean fall like rain? Is it raining in here? Kind of. So do me a favor. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to the fear of man. When you give in to the fear of man, you push away the heart of God. God will always give you opportunities that come in like, you know, the packages of fear, not to, not to just, not to hurt you or to put you in a cage, but to move you from selfishness into fearlessness as you pursue him. That's just why these things happen. When you give into the fear of man, it's hard to please God. That's the first thing. The second is this. The fear of man keeps you from becoming who God created you to be. The fear of man always puts restraints on who you are. That's just what fear does. That's the nature of it. 
Think about this. And I know nobody in this room has ever done this, but have you ever spoken to somebody and they were out of line or they were doing something you didn't like and you used your words to try to get them back into line? Now, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes we do it. Why? They're different. We don't like it. We don't like them. And they stay in their lane. Right? Does that sound like abundant life? Does that sound like God releasing people in their destiny? How do you like it when people make you feel small? Do you celebrate? Or do you push against it? What is it? It's the fear of man. You cannot become the person that God created you to be without being obedient, without having a heart yielded to God. Beloved, hear me, man, on this. Please don't, don't hate me. Don't send me emails. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. <laughs> say, we love you because Jesus said we had to. And we promise we won't send you nasty emails. <laughs> we, don't leave, you know, we don't serve God from our potential. We don't serve God from a place of someday. We serve God from our reality. Someday, Lord, I'll, I'll be fully committed. Someday, Lord, I'll get involved. Someday, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll tithe. Someday. We don't serve. God does not judge you from your potential and your someday. He talks about your present, your now. Does that make sense? So when he speaks to you, it's not just prophetic stuff in the future. He's talking to you now. What do he want you to do now? What did Jesus do? Jesus went about his father's business. He heard the father, he spoke, and then Jesus did it. God wants to be with you all the time. He's always speaking. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in the future. Don't disqualify yourself because of your past. Everybody's got a crummy past. Suck it up, buttercup. Deal with it. The blood is enough to redeem all those things. Some of you deal with the pain of your past. Well, I can't do that because I did all these things, and I can't, and I can't. What is that? Fear. It's the fear of man. Serve him out of your reality. Some of you are here today, and you're still struggling with your future. You don't feel like you're in the midst of your purpose. You don't feel like you're in your sweet spot. One of the reasons you don't feel like you're in your sweet spot is because you haven't said yes. Some of you are waiting for the big thing to happen, and God's like, well, can you do all the little things first? And then we'll deal with the big thing. Also, there's one other little piece of this we've got to be careful with. When you say yes to God, your yes is a yes. It's not conditional. Sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, we have meatloaf Christians. You know what that is? I would do anything for God, but I won't do that. You heard meatloaf today at the church. Some of you young people are like, what's meatloaf? Isn't that what mom makes, that terrible thing that mom makes? <laughs> Don't put conditions on your yes when you're talking to the creator. I'll serve you, Lord, here. God, I have an opening from 8.15 to 8.47. So that, that, anything you want in that time, but you know, then I got other things to do, and I, I can't move that again. Don't be conditional on your yes. Just be Yes. Because when you're conditional on your rest, you know what you're saying? You're moving God out of the center of your heart and you're putting yourself back in there. It's selfishness. Let your yes be yes. Lord, what do you need from me? I'm not telling you to burn yourself out and to lose your mind doing things that, you know, because how many of you know sometimes we do things and God doesn't tell you to do that? And that's just as dangerous as not doing the things that God asked you to do. You know? Why do we work so much? Well, here we go, baby. Why do you work so much and you do things sometimes that God doesn't even ask you to do, but you're always busy, busy? Why do you do that? Fear. The fear of not being enough. 
Fear's got a lot of weird things going on in your body right now, man. Fear can live rent-free in your head if you let it. So don't let it. We're going to break the fear of man. Well, God asks you to do something, give him your yes. You don't have to bargain with God. You can trust him. Why? Why can you trust God? You ready? You know how you can trust God? Why you can trust him? Because he's good. And he wants good things for your life. He's not here to bring you evil. He's not here to bring you disaster. If you believe that God is good and he has a plan for your life, then don't worry about all the details of asking what it is. Just simply say yes, and you trust. When you give people the keys to the door of who you're becoming, you derail God's plan for your life. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to have friends. You need to have mentors. You need to have people that you walk with. But God is the one that sets the compass of your heart. Why? He created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord. The plans are for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He's got a future and a hope set up for you. So don't bow to the fear of man and don't let those things contain you. And here's a little segue too. How many parents do we have in here today? Raise your hand if you're a parent. As parents, we have to be careful. This is our primary job as parents, is to guide our children and to connect them, to help them to know and discover who God is. That's the best thing that we can do as parents. The Bible says, train up a child in the way you should go, and they won't depart from it. So back in the day, this is how the church interpreted that. I'm going to beat as much scripture into this child. If I get enough in there, then they're, just, they're not going to break away, and everything's going to be fine, and they'll always be believers. How many of you have experienced that not to be true sometimes? So when that's not true, then you go, okay, wait a second, then what are we missing? You know what you're missing is the real context and what the Hebrew really says. The Hebrew actually reads like this. It says, find the bent of the child and point that child through the bent toward God. If you point their bent to, to, toward God, they'll never depart from understanding and connecting with him. How many of you know that once they hear God's voice, if they learn to hear God's voice, God will do one of two things in their life. He'll either guide them or harass them like he does with us, right? You've heard the guiding voice of God. TJ, I want you to do this. And we go, okay. You've also heard the harassing voice of God. TJ, what were you thinking? I don't know, Jesus. Seemed like eating that whole turkey was a good idea at the time, but I don't feel good right now. <laughs> right? So that's how we point them to God. Don't, you know, don't parent your children through your own fears and limitations. Don't pass your fears along to them. Now, boundaries are healthy and they're good but they're there to direct you towards something. Don't let your fears be so restrictive that you end up confusing and messing up your children. It's our job to launch them, support them, and help them to connect them to who God is. Fear is a powerful thing. How many of you grew up with parents that had the spiritual gift of uh, guilt and condemnation? Hmm? Don't pass it along to your children. Don't do it. Are you with me? Do you still like me? Fear of man, fear of man. Come on, come on, come on. Exactly. So we know why fear of man is dangerous. So here's the, here's the, the million-dollar question. How do you break free from the fear of man? How do you get freedom from it? It's one thing to know what it is. You know, I love going to the doctor. Yep, you're sick. I know, that's why I'm here. How do I break free? Don't, don't give me just cough medicine. I want to know what you could deal, how do you deal with the issue? This is how you can break free from here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans 8. I think Alex shared this a little already early this morning. This is a great verse. It says this. 
Alex, uh, Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Did you hear that? So there's a few key words in there. You didn't receive, you know, slavery, fear enslaves you. You didn't receive, you know, slavery to fall back into fear. That tells you this. Before you know God, what's the main rudder of your life? Fear. So when God comes, he brings you freedom, right? He says, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So what are two things that we need if you want to break fear in your life, if you want to break the fear of man in your life? First thing is this, know who you are. Understand, beloved, who you are. Most people live their lives without the full understanding of who they are. Why? It's how we see. We see ourselves through human limited eyes, and we see other you know, people through the same flawed eyes. Our lenses, if it's just, you know, just based on to humanity, is limited. You need to see yourself, and we need to see others the way that God sees us. You cannot see others. You can't even see yourself the way that God sees you apart from the Spirit operating in your life. You can't. That's the power that God gives us to see the world through his eyes. You see this clearly in the story of David. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of David. I know I try to work in Bible stories all the time because I know a lot of you didn't grow up in the Bible stories. If you went to the Catholic church and stuff like that, you didn't talk about this stuff. Greek church, we didn't talk about that. We talked about the food festival. We talked about Kojak and Telly Savalas. And now they talk about my big fat Greek wedding, one, two, and three, by the way. So this guy, David, what's his story? Well, it starts with what it means to be a king. So here you have, before you talk about David, you have this guy named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was this big, tall guy, and God chose Saul to lead. Um, and Saul always struggled in the same area of his leadership. Anytime there was a fork in the road, and he had a decision to either please man, or to bend to the fear, or to please God, or to the bend to the fear of, 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 of men, he always, instead of pleasing God, would bend to the fear of man. Always, always. He did this over and over and over, and finally God said, I cannot use this man to lead my people. So he, he gets in touch with his prophet Samuel. And he says, Samuel, I'm done with Saul. Fill up your horn with oil. That's how they would, they would designate kings. They would anoint them with oil. He says, fill up your horn with oil. I'm sending you to a new place. You're going to anoint a new king. So off Samuel goes. And, uh, and he goes off to find this next king of Israel. God directs him to this place, the house of Jesse. There was nothing spectacular about Jesse. Jesse was just a, a sheep herder with all these sons. And he shows up at Jesse's house. So anytime the prophet would show up at your house, you know, things are happening. The first thing you usually ask is, are you here for good things or for bad things? Because you don't know what he's going to bring. He could bring judgment or he could bring abundance. You don't know. Jesse asks him, is this good or bad? And he says, it's going to be good. And Samuel tells Jesse... Get all of your boys together because God has chosen one of them to be the next king of Israel. How many of you love to have that happen in your house? Get all your kids together because one of these kids is going to be the next, the next king. And Tori would be in the back going, or queen, right? That's the way it would happen in the Harris house, right? This is where we pick it up. If you got your Bibles, flip to Samuel, 1 Samuel 1.16. It says this. Then they arrived, uh, Samuel took one look at Elab. And thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He was probably the, the oldest and the best looking son that Jesse had. 
Verse 7 says this, but the Lord spoke to Samuel, don't judge him by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful now. Thousands of years later, we have learned to now not look at the outward appearance of people. Now we only judge people by their hearts, right? There you go, brother. Brother Leo. Especially in God's house. We are not bowed or bowed or by people's appearance or by gifting. We just look deeply at people's hearts. Isn't it funny? We think we've grown so much, but have we really? We still wrestle with the core issues of humanity. So let's keep going in the story. Verse 8. Then Jesse took his son Abinadab. He told him to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, he's not the one that the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned uh, uh, Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is this one the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all of seven's Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? This is great. For all of you that have daddy issues, just hold on. Here we go. Ready? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields washing the sheep and the goats. Think about this. Samuel comes to Jesse's house and he gives him one request. I need to see all of your boys. Jesse thought so little of David, he didn't even call him back, even though the Lord asked him to bring all his boys here. How many of you have you've experienced daddy issues? I want to encourage you. Maybe, you know, you grew up without a father. Maybe you grew up and your dad was bad. I don't know how you grew up. Maybe you had dad and mom issues. Do me a favor. Don't allow those experiences to dictate your life now. God can bring healing to all those areas. God is a father to the fatherless. He can come and he can restore, not just settle your life and stabilize your life, but he can come in and he can give you the best life possible. The creator can put things back on track if you let him. If David allowed even that slight to define him, we wouldn't be talking about him today. But we are. So this is great. It says, so send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. How many of you know that that's a big deal? I'd be upset. You're putting off the meal because you didn't bring all your knuckleheaded boys here. We have an issue, right? This is great. Verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was a dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood among there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil that he had brought. He anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramoth. From that moment on, the Bible tells us, the spirit of God revealed to David and everybody around him who he was. For good or for bad. For Saul, that revelation meant this. He's the next king. He's a threat. And for a decade, he hunted him like a dog. For Saul's son, Jonathan, he recognized who God had created him to be and made him and anointed him. And he knew him. He says, David, you're the guy. You're the next king. God, everybody knows that you're the next king. But of all the people that had to figure out You know, what David was, you know who the most important one was? David. Do you think David remembered that moment? Do you think that that moment helped David through maybe some dark times when he was hiding in caves? Lord, I don't understand any of this, but I do remember 
the oil being poured down on my head from Samuel. I don't understand your purposes and I don't understand this road, but I know that you're good and I know what you've anointed me to do. It's a powerful thing, beloved. It's hard to break fear if you don't know who you are. So who are you, beloved? Who are you? Who are you in Christ? You know what you are? You're a child of God. And as a child of God, you have privileges. John 1.12 says this, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That means this, as a child of God, you can live your Christian walk with authority. You don't have to always be the tail, you can be the head. I'm not talking about being arrogant or being weird, but I'm talking about knowing who you are in Christ. If you want to know who you are in Christ, I'm going to give you some homework. Get your nose in your Bible. Get on the internet. Type in there scriptures of who I am in Christ and read and allow those things to just permeate your soul. One of the biggest tragedies of the church today is this. We've allowed the enemy to convince us that Christians are weak and powerless. Now, I'm not talking about earthly power. That's, 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 that's pennies. That's nothing. I'm talking about the power that God gave you and I to move and shift the forces of darkness. How many of you are familiar with what's happening in Israel right now? We don't deal with Hamas and all that, that stuff. You know what we deal with? We deal with the spirits behind all those things. The church is the only thing that can do that. So as you're praying, we don't pray against people. You know what we pray against? The forces of darkness that are putting people at work there. Do you know that Hamas, people that follow Hamas, are created in God's image? They're image bearers, just like the Greeks, just like the Nigerians, just like the Colombians. We're all image bearers, and the enemy hates everybody because we reflect the thing that he hates most, God. So pray. Get on your knees and move the heavens. You know why you can do that? God has given you authority, and you know who you are. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Be led by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that operates in the life of believer, of us, that breaks the shackles of fear. It's the Holy Spirit in you that doesn't just bring transformation, but it's the Holy Spirit inside of you that unleashes God's purposes in your life. The fear of man keeps you contained. The Holy Spirit stirs up the gifts within you and releases you. I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit and so empowered by the Holy Spirit, when I wake up in the morning, I want the devil to go, oh, Friday's up again. What's TJ going to do today? I know he's going to eat, but what else is he going to do? <laughs> when you get up, when you walk through your day, do you survive or do you walk through victoriously? I want to take as many people with me as possible to the good. So you look at David again. We see this in his life again. I love how God puts us in places and situations, not just to to test your faith, but to show you what's really inside of you. How many of you, you, don't, you know, you don't know what's inside of you until it's tested? So God's always bringing opportunities to test you, to show you what's going on inside your life. God does this with David. He finds himself in another one of these places. You know, this is the big story, David, David and Goliath. So as we keep moving on, David, is, he's anointed. And then he goes back to normal life, kind of. He, um, he is promoted from sheep specialist to um, Aaron Boy. So while on a trip to visit his brothers that were fighting in the army in the front line, um, he encounters probably one of the greatest fear spreaders at this point than the world had ever seen. He was a giant. His name was Goliath. 
Now, we don't know for sure how big Goliath was because there's something in the ancient language. We're not quite sure how it equates to, to what our sizes are. But we can confidently say this. Goliath was somewhere between seven and nine, and nine foot tall. How many of you know that's a big dude? You know? Especially the average Israeli person of that day was five foot. So if you're a dude that's five foot, congratulations, you're average. Back in the day, they'd be like, he's just a normal guy. So we know that, that Goliath was fierce. The battle was very simple. The Philistine champion against the Israeli champion. The winner takes all. The only problem was this. Fear had already gripped the Israeli army. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17. Starting in verse 8 says this. Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across the Israelites to the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight? Why aren't you coming out to fight? He called them. He says, I'm the Philistine champion. But you're the only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, uh, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Look at verse 10. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then look at 11. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Apparently, there are different levels of fear. You can be terrified, and that's bad. But how many of you can be terrified and then deeply shaken? What does that mean? You know what that means? Oh, no, we are not going out there. We're going to die. Have you ever been deeply shaken? So the whole army is freaking out, starting with the king. Did you see the verse? Saul, the entire army, it started from the top all the way down, and everybody's losing their mind except for one person, a boy, David. How was David able to face Goliath and not be afraid? He shook the entire nation down. You know how he was able to do this? He knew who he was, and he was led by the Spirit. He understood the fight was not against him. The fight was against God, and God had his back. Look at verse, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 45. This is David now going mano y mano with this Goliath. He says this. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What did David understand? This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle right now. This is great. 40, 46. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you and cut off your head, and I'll give that dead body to the, or, uh, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. That's, you know, David being a little bold, wouldn't you say? I'm going to take you out. Let me tell you, I'm going to take you out. It's like the equalizer. and This is what's going to happen to you, you, and you, right? Verse 47. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he'll give you to us. David was empowered by the Spirit. How do we know that David was empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, it happened back in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Remember this? Samuel took the flask of olive oil, that he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. From that day on, however many years, months ago it was, that's when the Holy Spirit came out and descended upon David. And here's the funny thing. When you talk about the story of David and Goliath, this is where we screw this up sometimes in the church. We think that a shepherd boy is who went out and, and, and faced Goliath. But a shepherd, David the shepherd boy didn't face Goliath. You know who faced Goliath? David, the anointed king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and from that moment, when the Spirit came upon him, he was anointed king. So what did he do on that day in the battlefield? You know what he did? He did what kings are supposed to do. 
He led his people. He went out there. And in that moment, everybody knew that he was king, even though it would be years till he sat on that throne. That's how he functioned. How could he function like that in the face of all that fear? He knew who he was, and he was fully empowered by the Spirit. Beloved, some of you wrestle with the fear of man today. And you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. One of the reasons you struggle is because you don't know who you are. Know who you are in God. Know your authority. And one of the other reasons that you struggle is this. You try to do everything in your own power. And you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because fear is more than a tangible thing. It's something the enemy uses. The spirit that you've got to deal with or it will cripple you. Even today, as we look at our world, beloved, if our church, if you want us as a church to make a difference, don't get me wrong, we do physical things. We, we care for the sick. We take care of the poor. We do those things. But the number one thing that we put on the table that we do is we push back darkness. We deal with the spirit of fear. As a church, we don't pass fear along. We obliterate it. Where there's fear, there needs to be freedom and faith. And you carry that. So here's my question for you today. Are you dealing with the fear of man? Are you living a life that's contained? Is this something that has plagued you for years? Today you can leave and walk out of this place in freedom. You can walk into your purpose and walk into your destiny free from the shackles of the fear of man if you say yes to God. So bow your heads. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That means you can hear God's voice. There's nothing intergalactic about me. I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit and ask him, say, say Spirit, is my life oriented around you or is it oriented around fear? And listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.